everyone, this is Jen. And this is Dom. And you're listening to... 99% Chance of... Wine Wine and Murder! (laughs) Hey, Dom. Hey, Jen. How are you? I I think I'm better than you today. I guess, I don't know. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Um, We have a listener listening to us and watching us tonight. A little bit of a, a guest. Hello, fans! That's Dave. None other than the one and only Dave, <laughs> Jen's boyfriend. Jen's boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just gonna commentate on how awesome my murder is tonight. Maybe, awesome. Maybe he'll be like, oh, that's crazy. Oh my goodness. Those are the exact words I'm going to use. Those are the words he's going to use. I think you should. Yeah, it'll be fine. And that Dom's is better than Jen's. Okay, Dom. (coughs) He has to say mine is better. He technically doesn't. No, he does. He technically doesn't. Speak the truth, Dave. I already read him mine to practice earlier, so he he probably already thinks it's better. I wrote in a really light pencil, so... I was just going to be like, I can't read any of your notes because it's so light. Yeah, I might have a little bit of a hard time here. I wrote in a really light pencil. Yeah. <laughs> also, oh. um, we're going to start a blog. Oh, yes. We've already started creating it. So everybody should probably read it once we do. We will let you know. It's pretty much going to talk about things we like, which is true crime murder. and um, and murder. I, we don't like murder, but like we like murder. We like it. And our life. And how, you know... I mean, we're pretty normal in real life, but murder stories make our lives more interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've only seen one episode, which I'm, it's terrible for me to do, but, uh, what's happening? Oh, so I can read my thing. Oh, oh that's so sweet. Dave gave Dom a light. So I could actually read my writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, anyways. Did you watch the Ted Bundy tapes? I did. Did you watch all four episodes? I did. In one night. I only watched one. I was really depressed that there was only four episodes. Um, which I feel bad about being so far behind, but the first episode is fantastic. Yeah, you should watch the other three now. You know what is really funny? I saw the other day, um, Sword and Scale posted this, like, they um, replayed someone's story or whatever, and yeah. it was, like, someone watching, because everyone's always, like, freaking out online now and being, like, don't watch the Ted Bunny tapes alone, and I always thought that was yeah. weird, because, like, I watch true crime shit alone by myself all the time, and then it was, like, it was, like, it made it into a meme, and it was, like, don't watch the Ted Bundy tapes by yourself, says anyone who never has listened to any Sword and Scale episodes, because they're just, like, so fucked and, like, yeah. scary. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I like a lot of murder shit, but I didn't think they were that creepy. Well, they're probably not, because we just, we, that's what we like, but if, like... I think I, people I think know. it's creepy because it's truly coming from a murderer. Like, it's him speaking. You know who's going to be scared watching those? Who? Dave. That would be me. That would be me. Dave has some horror movies, and I kind of make him watch them. It's okay. At least uh, he watches them with you. Nate won't even put them on the TV. I mean, I have to, like, hardcore convince. We've only watched maybe one thriller together. A thriller? Which wasn't even scary. But, I mean, whatever. It's just, it's just my opinion. I haven't gotten Nate to watch a scary movie in, like, almost a year and a half. In my defense, so. my other siblings 
used to torture me when I was a child, make me watch horror movies when I was quite young. So I was I my first the first horror movie I watched was <laughs> I Know What She Did Last Summer, and it scared the shit out of me. And now I'm just like whatever, true crime and murder. It's true. You guys didn't say which wine you're just drinking. Oh yeah, I'm not drinking wine tonight. I'm drinking an apple Summersby, which is the best. I'm drinking the same red wine I drank last time. Which is I what? I don't know how to say the name, so it's in. Dave, say it. Polinari, Vella Pacella. There we go. I'm Italian and I can't say the name, so I mean, joke's on me, right? Joke is on you, Jen. Okay. Let's hear it. All right, so it's my turn to go first? Yes. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so these are called the Ketty Murders. Oh. And so I realized that um, a couple podcasts ago I did a murder murders about people who got killed in a cabin. These are also people that got killed in a cabin. So basically the moral of the story is... Don't go to the cabin. Don't go to a cabin in the middle of the woods or you're going to get murdered. So Fair enough. Just, just telling people the story again to make sure you don't go to a cabin. I, I won't go to the cabin. It's okay. Okay, great. Okay. So on April 11th, 1981... 36-year-old Sue Sharp, her 15-year-old son John, and his 17-year-old friend Dana were murdered in cabin 28 at the Keddy Resort in Keddy, California. It was discovered later that 12-year-old Tina Sharp was missing. Her remains surfaced years later. Cool. <clears throat> Side note, this is a non-solved murder. Jen, we have talked about this. <laughs> Jen knows unsolved murders. I purposely do it because Dom hates it. So, um, also, I just want to warn people ahead of time because I listened. Although it was so well done, I listened to a case file podcast for an hour and a half, uh-huh. and then it was unsolved, and I was really pissed off at the end of it. Yeah. So I like to tell people ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So. Because like you know me, you're getting into. I would just turn the tape off now. Okay, well, don't... But don't turn our tape off. Don't turn this tape off. Please keep listening. Okay. <laughs> so, Sue Sharp and her five children, John, who's 15, Sheila, who was 14, Tina, 12, Ricky, 10, and George... Or, sorry, and Greg, 5, moved from Quincy to Keddie and rented Cabin 28 five months before the murder. On the evening of April 11th, Sue had given the okay for Ricky and Greg... Greg to invite their friend, 12-year-old Justin, over to spend the night. Uh, Justin was also relatively new to Ketty. He had been living in Montana with his father, but moved in with his mother and stepfather, Marilyn and Martin Smart, in November of 1980. The Smarts lived in cabin 26, which is just a short distance from the Sharps' cabin. Letting John spend the night would not be a problem, because if there was any issues, she could just walk him home, basically. Um... So that night, uh, John and his friend Dana were going to Quincy, and then they were going to come back and hang out in John's bedroom in the basement. Tina was in cabin 27 watching television, but was home by 10 p.m., and Sheila, their daughter, had plans to sleep over at a friend's house that night. So the following morning, <clears throat> Sheila came home around 7.45 a.m. As she opened the door, she immediately noticed an, an intense odor. Yeah. When she stepped into the living room, it took her mind a moment to comprehend what her eyes were seeing. Her brother, John, appeared to be bound and laying on the back of the living room floor. 
There was blood caked around his face and his neck. Next to John, a boy uh, bound was bound and lying face down. It appeared that John and the boy were tied together by their feet. Her eyes then landed on a yellow blanket that was covering what looked like a body. Gripped with fear, Sheila ran to the neighbors while screaming for help. The investigation into the murders was, in, was initially handled by the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. From the start, the invest, investigation was riddled with errors and oversights. To begin with, the crime scene was never properly secured. Huh. Even more astounding was the amount of time that it took for the police to realize that Tina Sharp was missing. Wow. When the first police officers arrived at the scene, Justin tried to tell them that Tina was missing, but they ignored the boy. Um, it wasn't until hours later that, they, that everyone realized that she was missing. Why wouldn't they listen? Exactly. And it wasn't like it was like in the 40s. Like, this was in 1981. Idiots. Yeah. So, inside the cabin, they found two kitchen knives. Uh, one that had been used with such force that the blade was severely bent. Another, also, they found a hammer and a pellet gun, and they thought that the pellet gun was used um, in the murders. So, every victim had been bound with several feet of medical tape and electrical appliance wires removed from the appliances in the home and extension cords. There was no medical tape at the home before the murders, indicating that one of the attackers had brought it to the crime scene with him. An examination of the victims was conducted. Sue's lifeless body was found underneath that yellow blanket. She was wearing a robe, and her underwear had been removed and forced into her mouth. Also on her mouth was a ball of tape. The underwear and the tape were held in place with an ex extension cord that was also tied around her legs and ankles. Both Sue and John had been beaten with a claw, claw hammer and stabbed several times in their bodies and throat. Dana was also beaten, but with a different hammer, and then he was strangled to death. Brutal. There was a considerable amount of blood on the living room floor and drops of, uh, Tina, and drops of blood on Tina's bed. The investigation pointed to rape as the motivation behind kidnapping Tina, and that's why they think that she wasn't murdered in the home with the rest of her family. More evidence found included a bloody footprint that was discovered in the yard and knife marks in some of the walls of the home. While the brutal attacks inside the cabin were going on, um, Sue's son, Ricky, and Greg, and their friend Justin, who were sleeping over there at the night of the murder, um, they were found unharmed in their room the following morning. So really? They apparently didn't wake up. That's so strange. Right. And because a woman and her boyfriend were in the cabin next to the Sharps, um, and they woke up around 1.30 a.m. by muffled screams, is what they described it as. The sound was so disturbing that the couple got up and looked around. When they weren't able to determine where the screams were coming from, they went back to bed. So the investigators thought that it seemed impossible that the screams woke up the neighbors, but didn't disturb the boys that were in the same house where the murders took place. Right. And then, also, they thought it was weird that the killers chose not to harm the boys when any one of them could have been woken up at any time and then identified them. Mm -hmm. So, the Plumas County Sheriff's Office questioned anyone who was, had heard or witnessed something that could have helped solve the case. Among those people, uh, they interviewed Justin's stepfather, Martin Smart. 
what he told investigators made him a prime suspect in the crime. According to Martin, on the night of the murders, a friend of his by the name of Bo Boobied was staying at, the, at their house on a temporary basis. He and Bo had met several weeks earlier at a Veterans Administration Hospital where they are both receiving treatment for PTSD. Um, Martin claimed to suffer from PTSD as a result of his time spent fighting in the Vietnam War. He went on to say that earlier that evening of April 11th, his wife Marilyn and Bo decided to go to the backdoor bar for a few drinks. He had worked there as a chef, but was off for the night. On their way to the bar, they stopped in on Sue Sharp and asked her if she wanted to join them for drinks. She said no, so they left her and went to the bar. At the bar, Martin complained angrily to the manager about the music they were playing. They left shortly afterwards and went home to the, their cabin. Marilyn watched TV and then went to bed. Martin, still angry about the music, called the manager and complained again. Why would you go to a bar and then complain about the music? Exactly. He and Bo then decided to go back to the bar for more drinks. So, suspecting that they now had a prime suspect, the sheriff's office contacted the Department of Justice. And they brought in two investigators named Harry Bradley and P.A. Krim. And they conducted in additional interviews on Martin and Marilyn Smart and Bo. During the interview with Marilyn, she told investigators that she and Martin had separated the day after the murders. She said that he was short-tempered, violent, and abusive. After the interviews with the Smarts and Bo were completed, Martin was polygraphed, and then they, the investigators decided that none of them were involved with the murders. Marilyn was interviewed again at a later date, and she told investigators that Martin hated John Sharp, who was uh, her son. Right. Um, so she also admitted that early in the morning of April 12th, she saw Martin burning something in the fireplace. Oh, I mean, that's not good. No. Evidence. Evidence. Um, so as time went on, Justin, who was, this, who was uh, the friend plus also Martin's stepson, he began to change his stories. Originally, he told uh, investigators that he was asleep during the murders um, and that he did not hear anything. In a later interview, he described in detail a dream that he had that he was on a boat and saw John Sharp and Dana fighting with a man with long black hair, a mustache, and black glasses who was carrying a hammer. The man threw John overboard and then Dana. He then went on to describe seeing a body that was covered in a sheet laying on the bow. He looked under the sheet and saw Sue, who had a knife cut in her chest. He tried to help her by patching the wound with a rag, which he ended up throwing into the water. In reality, Sue did have a knife wound in her chest. Oh. So I feel like maybe he was... That looks pretty he bad. Was, he saw the murders and this is how he was like dealing with it. Yeah. Um, so another time, while being polygraphed, Justin told the polygrapher that he thought he saw the murders. He said that a noise woke him up and that he got up and looked through the door in the living room. He, saw, he said he saw Sue laying on the sofa and there were two men standing in the middle of the room. He described the men, one with black and dark glasses, the other with brown hair and wearing army boots. 
John and Dana came into the room and began arguing with the two men. A fight broke out, and Dana tried to escape through the kitchen, but the man with the brown hair hit him with a hammer. John was being attacked by the man with the black hair, and Sue tried to help him. Justin said at that point he hid behind the door. He then saw the man trying, tying up John and Dana. He also claimed that he saw Tina come into the room holding a blanket and asking what was going on. The two men grabbed her and took her out the back door as Tina tried to call for help. He said that the man with black hair used a pocket knife to cut Sue in the middle of the chest. Justin worked with a sketch artist after that and came up with a composite sketch of the two men. So obviously he was like retaining yeah, information. Yeah. Maybe unknowingly or knowingly. Yeah, because I mean, I think like when something traumatic like that happens, you're like Especially when terrified. you're a young kid. Yeah, he was 13. Yeah. So, um, on June 4th, 1981, the investigators interviewed a man who lived in a cabin nearby, uh, but moved, but had moved two weeks before the murders. He said he did not know the Sharps, but that three weeks before the murders, he heard Sue Sharp and an unknown man yelling at each other. They continued to fight for another 30 minutes, screaming back and forth to each other. Um, So while details of the interviews that the investigators had conducted with Martin and Bo came to light, the Plumas County authorities were livid. So Bradley and Krim, who were the investigators, were accused of sloppy work in failing to fact check or pursue clarifications for discrepancies made by Martin and Bo. So here are all of the weird things. Okay. Okay. So during the initial interview, Bo decided that he had worked, sorry, Bo had said that he had worked as a Chicago police officer for 18 years, but retired after being shot while in the line of duty. This was an obvious lie, which would have been quickly, which would have quickly been disputed, sorry, if they had actually been paid attention to his date of birth. Or, like, looked up to see if it was a police officer. Yeah, no kidding. So, Bo also lied about how long he had been living in Kitty by adding two weeks to his time. And he also said that Marilyn was his niece, which was a complete lie. Because he hadn't met them until two weeks before. That's so strange. Yeah. Why would you fuck yourself like that? But they didn't care. Like, like none of this has ever been investigated further. Yeah, so he claimed that Marilyn was awake when him and Martin came home after the second trip to the bar. Had anyone been paying attention, they would have caught that it contradicted with what Marilyn said, which is that she was asleep when they came home. Bo said he never met Sue Sharp, which also contradicted with what Marilyn said about the three of them stopping at the house to ask her to come to a drink with them. So he obviously met her. They really missed a lot. Yeah. So, then they showed a similar lack of energy while interviewing Martin. In one interview, Martin said that his stepson, Justin, might, listen to this, might have seen something on the night of the murders, adding, without me detecting him. Which means he is implicating himself to be there. Right. But they didn't do anything about that either. Because he's technically saying he also saw something. Well, that or that he was there. Or that he was one of the killers. He's basically saying he might have seen Justin or Justin saw him and didn't say anything because that's his stepdad and he was scared of him. Mind blown. But they never investigated further. What a dumbass. Yes. 
Um, so then Martin talked to the investigators about the hammers that were used in the murder, adding that he had recently lost his own hammer. Convenient. Of course he did. Um, there were no follow-up interviews with Martin or Marilyn and Bo since the investigators believed that the pair had no involvement in the murders. No longer a prime suspect, Martin moved to Klamath, California. Bo returned to Chicago and scammed several police officers out of money. But he was caught and almost died in, uh, and almost did prison time, but died before he got the chance. So in 1984, the cranium part of a skull was found 30 miles from Ketty. Several months later, an anonymous caller called the Butte County Sheriff's Office and claimed that the skull belonged to Tina Sharp. Another search of the area uh, was made, and a jawbone and several other bones were found. Testing had confirmed that it did belong to Tina Sharp, so that's when they found her remains was three years after the murders. I need to know who the caller was. <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. Don't. Oh my god. It was anonymous. So the Butte County Sheriff's Office gave the original and the backup copy, copy, sorry, of that recording from the anonymous caller to someone in the law enforcement. Since then, both the original and the backup have gone missing. No way. Yeah. Um, what? So Martin Martin died in 2000. Uh, and not long after his death, his therapist came to the Plymouth County Sheriff's Office um, and confessed and said that he had confessed to them that Martin had killed Sue Sharp, but was trying to convince because she was trying to convince Marilyn to leave him. Martin never mentioned who killed John, Dana, or Tina, though. He also told the therapist that it was easy to beat the polygraph and that him and the county sheriff's office, uh, Doug Tom- uh, one of the sheriffs, Doug Thomas, were his friends. So that would make sense as to why the <laughs> tapes went missing. Exactly. Right? What so the obviously fuck? they had friends, right? That's and so, so bad. On March twenty fourth, two thousand and sixteen, which is thirty five years after the murders, a hammer was found that matches the description of the hammer that uh, Martin claimed was missing two days after the murders. According to the Plymouth County Sheriff Hagworth, the location where it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. So that's the last piece of evidence they've ever found so far. But, I mean, they think, I mean, they obviously think that Martin and his friend Bo did it, but now they're both dead. So, so really, really never find out. Find oh, find that out. would drive me nuts. So it's going to remain unsolved forever. Don't say that, Jen. Something might happen. I and don't know. it might be solved. We'll see. Why do you do this to me? I know. Good story. I only do it to you because I know you love it so much. Sometimes, I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to implicate myself in anything that could Are happen in Are you just going to tell me you're going to murder me? Well, I was thinking about it. It, it was Dom, a thought. every single podcast we do, you tell me you're going to murder someone, and now you're murdering me. Yeah, I mean, you knew, had to know that I was going to build that It's tradition. a recording that we have, so if you murder me, people will know. They might go missing. Who knows? Whatever. Whatever, Jen. <laughs> Are you guys ready for my story? We're ready. Let's do it. So, funny enough, I also have... Somebody named with the last name Smart in my story. Stop it. No, for real. Is this about Elizabeth Smart? No. Oh, shit. Close I got though. so excited. Not close at all, actually. But. 
All right, I have titled mine, <laughs> The Reaper of Glasgow. Oh, shit. Serial killers. One of the most studied minds of the human race, yet somehow we still have a hard time picking them out before an incident occurs. I threw in a little fun fact here. <laughs> in the 1950s, serial killers were still called mass murderers. This continued up into the late 1970s when FBI agent and local author Robert Kessler coined the term serial killer. This distinguishment separated killers who were re- repeated their violent actions from those who only killed a group of people once or like you know repeatedly yeah Yeah. this brings us to today's topic of serial killers and the reaper of glasgow in the early morning of january 1st 1958 the smart family lay peacefully sleeping in their bed but nobody would wake to see the new day i really should have used a different pencil After an extensive search of the smart residence, police found incriminating evidence linking the murders to Peter Manuel. The banknotes that had been previously withdrawn from the smart account had now been used in many different local bars in the downtown east side by none other than Manuel himself. After arresting Manuel on January 14, 1958, they charged him with the murder of the smart family as well as a break and enter at the McMahon... McMahon family home not long prior. Looking deeper into the evil intentions of Manuel, more heinous events unfolded. Starting at what is believed by some to be his first murder, the young Anne Neelands. At the time, Anne had been at the local east side golf course. She was later found bludgeoned and brutally raped. Manuel was questioned in relation to the case. But when his dad provided him an alibi, the charges were dropped against him. He later admitted to the murder at his arrest in 1958, but charges were dropped due to insufficient funds. What? Yes. This brings us to the Watt family murder. On September 17, 1956, an atrocious triple homicide took place in Glasgow's south side at 5 Fensbrook Ave. After only living at their new home in, from, in a more upper-class part of town for 10 weeks and 5 days, three members of the Watt family would be brutally bludgeoned to death in their sleep. Earlier in the night, the three ladies, 45-year-old Marion, her daughter, 17-year-old Vivian, and 41-year-old Margaret, Marion's sister, as well as young Vivian's friend, 19-year-old Deanna Valentine, hung out at the house listening to the radio. Just before the midnight, just before midnight, Deanna left the house to return home and the Watt women turned in for the night. On September 15th, Manuel had broken into the house next door to the Watts and hid here, dirtying their house and wreaking havoc, not taking anything of value. He used this house as a base to set his eyes on his next deviant act and early on in the morning of September 17th, He maneuvered his way over and into the Watt family home. Once into the home, he made his way up to Marion's bedroom. He proceeded to shout, he proceeded to shoot her (laughs) in the head with a 38 revolver. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't funny, but I mean. The mess up was funny. And her sister, Margaret Brown, who was sharing a bed with her for the night, was shot twice in her body. Upon examining the scene, Marion's nightdress was pulled up while Margaret's pajama pants had been pulled down. 
Manuel wasted no time moving on to Vivian's room, where he she must have awoken due to the sounds from her aunt and mother's murder, as she showed signs of struggle. Her head was beat up, her hands bound and shot. Her PJ pants were also pulled down, but none of them had been sexually assaulted. All the bodies were then covered by a sheet before Manuel left. The bodies lay undisturbed for hours until their housemaid, Helen, showed up for her shift at 8.45 a.m. When she couldn't get into the house and saw the broken glass, she requested the next-door neighbor to help her. They had the local postman help them get the door open, but the scene was indescribable, and they had to call cops right away. With some searching, they realized the house next door had also been broken into and made the assumption that the same person was responsible. Since the Martins' house had the same consistencies as some of Manuel's previous convictions and um, maintained a search war- they maintained a search warrant of Manuel's home. God, this pen is just fucked up. Both him and his father denied any involvement. Mr. William Watt, who was away on a fishing trip when his brother John caught wind of the news... Mr. William Watt, who was away on a fishing trip, had no idea what had happened until his brother, John, caught wind of the news. After recovering from a sobbing fit, Mr. Watt packed up his stuff and was driven back to Glasgow by police. He was a suspect. The police became very suspicious of Watt's lack of emotion and behavior on the drive. He was charged for the murder of his entire family. However, a few flaws began to show. William had been 180 miles away in an unreliable vehicle playing golf with his friends and he also sat at the bar until 12:30 a.m. with the hotel owners. He had been seen going into his room at 1 a.m. by a waitress and emerging around 8:10 a.m. The police laid an, out an elaborate story that fit their perp. He was charged and sent to Berlin prison to stand trial. For some reason, Manuel felt it necessary to insert himself into the investigation. That means they're guilty. Idiot. In writing a letter to the police, he claimed to know the person behind the crime. Yeah, him. He was brought in for questioning and seemed to have a killer's knowledge of the crime. Unfortunately, due to a lack of evidence, he was released and the the murders continued. Of course it happened. Of course it happened. On December 8, 1957, Manuel attacked and killed Newcastle taxi driver Sidney Dunn. Manuel had been in Newcastle looking for a job before returning to Lancashire. Sidney's body was found in Northumberland not long after he returned. A search ensued and a button was found in the cab that matched one of Manuel's jackets. Of course. <laughs> he was never charged. Oh, Thus bringing us to the only other known murder of Manuel, young Isabel Cook. The young 17-year-old disappeared after leaving her house for a dance class on December 28, 1957. She was raped, beat, strangled, and bludgeoned, and her body dumped. There were no witnesses and no perps were linked to the case, and it went unsolved for some time. After so much evil had taken place, Manuel was finally arrested on January 14th and charged with the Smart family murder, as well as another local break and enter. 
at the local Glasgow High Court manual throughout his lawyers and served his own defense. Does that remind you of anybody? Yeah, every fucking serial fucking killer thinks they can, are so cocky that they think they can be their own defense. You're a fucking idiot. This is just, this is just it. He was said to have actually been very good and very smart. However, he could not convince the jury. He was charged and sentenced to hanging, which took place in the Berlin prison gallows on July 11th, 1958. Later, in a search of his belongings, a note was found. This note admitted to all of the murders, including including Sidney Dunn, since there was some doubt, and young Isabel Cook. Finally, all the murders had been solved and the monster had been put to rest. Not put to rest. Like, well, you know. Fuck you, bro. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was hung and his neck probably snapped, but yeah. still. Good. Great. Exactly. He fucking deserves it. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I learned my lesson. Do not write in pencil or red pen. <laughs> Dom, you did a great job. Ever. Yeah. Great stories, ladies. That was amazing. I will continue to type them. <laughs> yeah. You, you did it. You yeah. did it. All right. Well, that was, uh, that was good. That was good. Uh, serial killer murder. Yeah, that was our murders for this week. I bet next week's are going to be pretty fucked up, too. They're always fucked up. I know, like, don't you ever just, like, kind of, like... Okay, so, like, this is my vision, okay? (laughs) If two chairs had a connection, okay? I sit in one chair, a serial killer sits in the other chair, okay? Okay. But I don't get harmed, okay? Okay, so you don't... don't, He decides that you're not the right person to murder. Yeah, and there's police. Okay, great. And above us are little helmets that attach. And when they go on my head, these electrodes shoot oh, into my brain. Oh, you mean you're doing that thing where you're like in the mind of a serial yes. killer. Yes, okay, and I okay. could read okay. his mind. Okay. Yeah. I could feel what he feels I and why he feels I don't think I'd want to do that. I would. Like, I would never, like, no. Like, I would never, like, yeah, want to be like that. Yeah, but then you would feel like the impulse to think that you want to murder somebody. But once you took the helmet off, it'd be fine. You would just un- think, know you would just know. I think you'd be pretty. But in my there. okay, this is my vision, Jen. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm saying once the helmet comes off, you just learn about them. You go back to normal. And then you go back to normal. Okay, great. That sounds that sounds perfect. Wouldn't that be really cool? Yeah. And then you would know like everything that they know. And why they know it. I mean, that would be ideal to research the mind of a serial killer. Right. Yeah. That would be so smart. Why can't they pick something like that? Like, someone invent this. Invent I think, this, I think people. That that's yeah. harder said than done. No. No, Jen. Easier said than done. One day. That one was day. the right thing. There easier, yeah, easier said than done. One day it'll happen, and then a girl we'll can all dream. congratulate Dom on that idea. <laughs> it's a good idea, okay? <laughs> well, that's it. Thanks, Dave, for joining us this yeah, week. Yeah, I know. Great stories. I really appreciate it. He's a loyal listener. This time he just got to listen early. Yeah. <laughs> and by loyal listener, I mean I make him listen to the podcast. At least he listens. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> Nate does not. My husband, Nate, does not. He'll never like hear this, so we crime. can't have Yeah, he does, he does not like crime or murder or murder stories or horror films. All good things. <sighs> All the things I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, always remember, keep your wine glasses full. And don't get murdered. Bye.